Would you mind uh, standing with me in honor of God's word? It's a very strong word today. So we will pray. We'll pray for our hearts. Here we go. Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And then Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, you're teaching us how to live in your kingdom, how to live in the new nature, how to agree with who you are in us and who we are in you and to live out of that place. Lord, you are pure love here today. Lord, whenever you speak, whenever you put light on our darkness, it's a good thing, not a bad thing. Would you give us a tenderness to truth? And help us to come to the light and not hide ourselves from it. We love you and we thank you for it. God, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the message this morning is called Life in the Kingdom, Righteousness. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, in in many ways, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is saying the same thing in a different way, that hunger and thirst, let this be what you seek after. Let this be the hunger that that you are after in your life, to seek after God and his righteousness. First, his righteousness, we're hungering and thirsting for his righteousness clothing us. Uh, Philippians 3, 8, and 9, I consider, this is Paul, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. You see Paul saying, my whole life is about Jesus. It is about being clothed. It is about that day that I might be found in him, that I might not be deceived, that I can have a righteousness of my own apart from Christ, that that the, the idea that I'm going to be good enough for God, that's off the table. Jesus died for me. He has provided righteousness or right standing. Paul says, I am clinging to that righteousness so that on that day I might be found in his righteousness. There is a wedding feast coming. There is a a wedding that every wedding on this earth is pointing to a greater wedding, a greater marriage. Jesus, in one of his last parables, tells of this wedding feast that a father, a king, is throwing for his son and how he goes out and invites people and and many won't come because they're distracted. They've got other priorities. But then there is those that, that did come. 
And then this disturbing verse, Matthew 22, 11 through 13, but when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is somebody that wanted to be at the wedding, wanted eternal life, wanted to go to heaven. This isn't the ones that were distracted by lesser things. This is somebody that was was seeking to be at the wedding, that, that wanted to have eternal life. How do we understand this? How do we understand the holiness, the, the, the anger that would cast somebody that genuinely wanted it out? In Revelation chapter 19, verse 8, it's the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the angel says that fine linen, bright and clean, was given the bride to wear. Everybody that gets to heaven has been given this fine, white, beautiful, spotless linen to wear. That's how you get into the wedding feast. That is the righteousness of Jesus. God the Father has ordained. No one gets in on their own righteousness. It says in Isaiah 64, 6, that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Our, to try to get in with your own righteousness, they're dirty. They might be cleaner than the next guy's, they might look good compared to other people, but in, in God's eyes, they are dirty. The only way in is to take the garment God has provided. It has been given to the human race. God, this is God the Father's jealousy for his son. He has declared this. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's only one way to be saved and that is in Christ. That is in his righteousness. That is in exchanging our filthy rags for the Savior to take that name as your name. There is only, Acts 4.12, there's only one name given among men whereby we must be saved and that's the name of Jesus Christ. We, we hunger and thirst to be clothed with his righteousness, to be found in him. Point two, we hunger and thirst for his righteousness indwelling us. Matthew 5, 20, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a righteousness that men call righteousness that will keep you out of heaven. The Pharisees were very religious people and they had become preoccupied with how they appeared before other people. They had lost track of how God felt about them 
And it was all about how people felt about them. And they used righteousness kind of to climb the social ladder. Matthew chapter 23. Here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Listen to the, the, how they get off. This is John 5, 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? You guys are living to please the wrong audience. And you know how to fake it. You know how to put on the right thing. You know how to say the right words. You know how to get, get yourself so that other people are impressed with you and your holiness and your prayers. But guess what? That's not, that's not the audience that you need to be righteous before to get into the kingdom of God. You need, you need, you need to please God. We need to please God. When people have the righteousness of the Pharisees, <clears throat> What happens is, uh, this, is the, this is the only righteousness that makes God angry. This is, this is where we see God angry in the New Testament, is when people are living a double life. They're living to impress people and living a different life on the inside. This, this is the righteousness that makes young people hate church, reject church, and reject God. That mom and dad are righteous in front of other people. They appear righteous. They know how to play the game. But home, at home, there's somebody completely different. And they are demanding me now to perform the way they perform. And the hypocrisy of it cripples them when they see two different lives. And oftentimes they come to the conclusion, this isn't real. This isn't real. And so we have a whole generation that it doesn't want anything to do with church. God's righteousness is not just imputed when we come to Christ. And what I mean by that is we don't just become clothed with his righteousness outwardly. It does, it's not just imputed. It's also imparted Righteousness. Listen to um, Hebrews chapter 8. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And I'm sorry I didn't get the, the verse to these guys. I am, here's the new covenant. The new covenant, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. In the old covenant, it was written on stones. That's why the, the, the law was over the Pharisees. It was over the people of Israel, and they were under that law. 
And they, of course, because it wasn't in them, they would forget it. And in Numbers, we've got the horrible story of somebody being stoned because they did what was, uh, God had just said, don't do this or you will be killed. And they were killed. And the, the next verse says, God says, I want you to put tassels on your clothes now. I want you to put blue tassels on your clothes so that you're reminded. So there's something close to you that reminds you of my law, that reminds you, hey, there is a moral law and I, there is a, there's punishment for breaking it. But, that, but that's the old covenant. In the new covenant, God writes the law right on our hearts. This is put inside of us in the new covenant. It is part of, of our nature in the new covenant. So let's talk for a moment about the pig and the cat. First, the pig. The pig can be cleaned up and the pig can be restrained from mud by putting up fences. But no matter how clean you get the pig, no matter how many fences are up, a pig is going to spend its time looking over that fence at the mud that he wishes he was in. Even though a pig can be clean, it wants to be dirty. It wants to roll around in that mud. That is its natural state. The cat... Cats can get dirty. You can throw a cat in mud. Cats can fall in mud. Cats can trip in mud. But the nature of a cat is it wants to be clean. You will, once a cat is dirty, it will start trying to clean itself. It's not that Christians can't fall in the mud. It's that if you're really a Christian, you can't continue in the mud. Because even though you can get dirty, you can't enjoy being dirty. <clears throat> so oftentimes men believe a lie and they, they, they assume a lie that God understands my porn addiction. God knows, I, he made me a man, it's his fault. I've got all these sexual hormones and, and I have a porn addiction and he knows I'm a man, he knows I'm a weak man and that this is, this is what, I, what I do. And it's not just men anymore, it's women too that have a porn addiction. But God understands because I'm a weak, I'm a sinner and Jesus came for sinners. Let me, let me, let me explain something to you. First, God does understand lust. He does understand the sin nature and darkness, and he does understand that your sexual hormones uh, that he gave you can go this way. Here's what he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand how you can say that you are a Christian, that you, you, you've taken up your cross and you've given up your right to satisfy yourself in your own loss and lust to follow him. He doesn't understand how you can say you follow him and that you've given, you, you, you feel entitled to continue in this way of life. Here's what Jesus said. This is in the Sermon on the Mountain. He said, you have said 
that the law says that it's, it's wrong to commit adultery. Here's, here's what I say. Whoever lusts in his heart after a woman has already committed adultery. That, that God's, God's not just about the outside. The Pharisees were content that as long as I don't actually sleep with somebody else, I can go ahead and lust. I can give myself to pornography. I can give myself because that's not as bad. Well, in God's eyes, uh, it is as bad. And when you become a Christian, you give up your entitlement to live in lust. Well, I know that God understands the hatred in my heart towards X, Y, or Z. And maybe we've Christianized the language. We don't call it hatred. We call it a grudge. We call it hardness. We call it whatever we want to call it. God certainly understands that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, he does. He knows exactly what was done to you. He knows the injustice that was done. He knows how wrong it was. He knows how abusive it was, how sinful it was. He does understand what happened to you. Here's what he doesn't understand. Is how you can call yourself a Christian and stay in hatred. Because he's asked you to deny yourself and to come after him, to take his hand and to give up your right to be other people's judges. You've given up your right to live in, to hold on to injustice and you gave that right up at the cross and that only God is judge. And so for you to stay in hatred and call yourself a Christian, he doesn't understand that. He can't understand that. Jesus said... You have said that it is sin to murder, but I say it's sin to hold hatred in your heart. You have, you have justified your hatred by saying, well, at least I've never, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't, I haven't done all that I would want to do, and therefore I'm kind, of, I'm kind of righteous because I haven't done what I could do, but you're still holding this in your heart. Jesus said, no, you, you need, I, I came to clean the inside of the cup. I am asking you to give up your hatred. Now, I thank God that true Christians have a way to get clean when we fall in the mud, we fall into lust, fall into hatred, fall into all kinds of stuff. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Thank God when I blow it, when, I, when I'm out in life and I'm in this flawed world and I've got people and you go the wrong way and you do the wrong thing and you don't realize it till after the fact and you just feel dirty and you feel guilty, thank God that the answer is not you beating yourself up. The answer is not you now working off the bad you did by being good enough. No, no, here's the answer. Jesus has already died, already taken punishment for it. All we need to do is confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to cleanse us, wash us, and take away unrighteousness, which means you're righteous again. 
God, God knows our frame. He knows how weak we are. He knows how muddy this world is. He knows how easy it is to get tripped up. He knows how easy it is with the devil and demons pushing us around and, uh, and darkness in our heads. He knows how easy it is to get dirty. So he has made a way for us when we get dirty First, because righteousness is in us, we can't enjoy it. We used to enjoy being in the mud. We used to enjoy holding on to it. And now we could still do it, but we don't enjoy it anymore. We, get, we, we could get in the mud, but we don't enjoy the mud. We get in the mud and we think about church. We think about Jesus. This isn't even fun. That's, that's the new nature. It's not, it's not, it's you out of water. You, you, are, you are righteous. You, the righteousness of God is in you. He's written the moral law right on your heart. Pastor Tom, I am confused. I am confused right now. Which am I? I can relate to coming to church and asking God to forgive me, but Pastor Tom, to be totally honest, I can also relate to trying to live the right life and looking over that fence at the mud and saying, boy, I wish I was in that mud. I, 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 which am I? Am I the pig or the cat? I don't know. Here's the answer. You're both. And you'll become whichever one you feed. I'm gonna just read this to you. 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. If, if they have accepted, escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. Well, that's not fair. I thought when we were saved that God took out the old and put in the new. Sorry, that's not what happened. He left the old in there and he put the new in there. Why? So that you'll have to choose every day whether you're going to live in the old man or the new man. We, in Christ, we live dead to the old man. It never says that you don't have the old man anymore. Well, praise God, when we get to heaven, we lose the old man. But, but you, you and I, you and I could, could be the pig that goes back to wallowing in the mud, or we can be that cat that grows in righteousness and our new nature flourishes and we become more and more beautiful, more and more godly, more and more hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with some very sobering words, maybe the most sobering words in the New Testament. Matthew 5, 21 through 23 is the whole or seven, 21 through 20. The Sermon on the Mount lasts three chapters, five through seven. Here's what he says. Many, many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, who won't enter the kingdom of God. And they will say, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did miracles in your name. We went to meetings in your name. We made albums in your name. And he says, I will say to them, depart from me. You who practice, listen, 
lawlessness. When, when they got saved, God wrote the law on their hearts. God, the, the, the love of the moral law is in us. But when people try to be saved, they, and this is happening all over America today, I want the name of Jesus, I want that gift of salvation, because I do want to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want the character of Jesus. I don't want who Jesus is. I, I want to live my. I want to live in the mud. I want to do my own thing, and I want to be forgiven for it. And Jesus says it. It doesn't work that way. You can't have my name without my nature. You got to. You got to take both. I. I he, come as you are. Absolutely. You come however you are. You start today. You. You'll get the righteousness of God today. But Jesus has to be who He is. And he is in us as the righteous one. And to decide I'm going to have a gospel that forgives me, but allows me to just live a lawless life and just still live in the mud. Jesus says, you're deceiving yourself. And he says, many on that day are are going to realize they deceived themselves. They said they wanted Jesus, but they didn't want Jesus. They only wanted salvation. They didn't want Jesus. They didn't want his beauty. They didn't want his character. They just wanted a free pass. Jesus said, it doesn't work that way. So, we need to be very careful which nature we feed. Let me tell you a little about my love of stories. Let's get on something a little lighter, should we? I love stories. In the morning, every morning I have, I, I, I read the one-year Bible. I've got these very serious devotionals that teach. And if I have a teaching book, I always read it in the morning. I'm sharp in the morning. But at night, before I go to bed, I like a story. I, I'm either reading a story or I'm watching a story before I go to bed. What am I looking for in a story? First, I don't think anybody should be watching or reading stories just just about listen the jesus jesus loves stories you know what this is this is a series not a this isn't just principles in here it's a bunch of stories that are to teach you to love righteousness and to hate wickedness some of them are true history some of them are parables and allegories but they're all for the same reason to get us to love righteousness and to hate Wickedness. So the idea that we shouldn't ever expose ourselves to stories, that's off the table. But we need to be very careful what kind of stories we watch and listen to. Here's what I look for. I look for somebody that I can cheer for. I need somebody that is trying to do what's right. Somebody that is rising up above human nature and what comes comfortable and what, what is selfish and what is self-centered. Somebody who's, who's doing what's right. Somebody who's making the sacrifice. Somebody who's loving the unlovely. Somebody that I need, I need somebody to cheer for. Now here's what I don't need. I don't need them to be perfect. In fact, it's really hard. I, I, a perfect person can't speak that much to me unless it's Jesus, because I'm not perfect. I'm flawed. And, and if a story tries to paint somebody that's too good, they don't really speak. 
So I have no problem with flawed people. I just need somebody that's flawed, but that's doing the right thing. And it's amazing how many stories there are today where it's hard to find that person. And this is why art is very, can be very dangerous. Last week, I talked about The Horse Whisperer, and I said, great movie, horrible book. What do I mean by that? I want to unpack that a little. I watched the movie first. And the movie tells the story of this, this woman's horse getting healed, and, but in the midst of that horse getting healed, she's so grateful to the man that healed the horse that she's drawn to him. And, and he's drawn to her, but there's a problem. She's married and has a child at home. And here they are alone, and there's this little emotional pull, and, 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 and it's, it's right on the edge. The reason why I say that movie's a good movie because at the end, both of them rise above that. And she goes back to her husband. Her husband comes back out, and she does what is right. She is tempted. He is tempted. Maybe they even cross some emotional lines. But in the end, they did what was right. And you read it, and you, you celebrate that. So I, lo- I liked the movie. Wasn't perfect, but I liked it. So I read the book, and I'm like, "Oh my, this is the most horrible book I've ever read." Why? Why was it a horrible book? Tom, was the writing? No, the writing was great. That, that's that's why it's so dangerous. It's great writing, captivating writing. But here's here's the, here's how the book ends. Okay. First, they don't just flirt. They have they commit adultery. And then at the end, she realizes that she is entitled to true love. And so she leaves her her husband and her daughter because this is her entitlement to have true love. And she courageously leaves her husband and her daughter. Do you guys see how dangerous that message is? Do you see how the human heart could respond to it and, and the human heart could be deceived by that message. Art is very dangerous. Stories can be very, very dangerous. So here's what's going on in our culture right now. The enemy takes our love for humor and he puts a message of perversion in sitcoms. He knows our love for action. So he, he'll make something very exciting and then the, the, the subplot of it is you are entitled to act on your rage and on your anger and do whatever you want and it feels good to see somebody that gets to just hate and wipe out all their enemies. Do you see the dangerous subplot there? He takes our love for mystery and for a, a cool theme and... and and, and, and then has that guy that's solving the mysteries, he's also perverted and twisted and, and all of a sudden, but you understand why he is and maybe that's who you are too. And so I, I try to be very careful. Books and movies that expose wickedness and help us to own and love righteousness. I, I, let, me, let me give you just a few to give you, give you a few examples 
three movies that have helped us understand and embrace the journey of African-Americans. 42, it's the Jackie Robinson story. The Help and Hidden Figures. You watch those movies, honestly, you, you feel washed because you see prejudice for what it is. You see how blinded oftentimes white people are to their own prejudice and it makes you hate wickedness. It makes you hate uh, tyranny and justifications and, and, and it, 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 it washes you. And at the very same time, it makes you love righteousness. You see the courage that, that these characters went through and how they stood against their own anger, their own abuse, and courageously walked through it. And it makes you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Last Friday, two days ago, oh my, Alice and I went to the movies and we saw the movie I Can Only Imagine. Don't give away. The, <laughs> bro, 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 if you want to see it in the theater, you need to see it very quickly because it's not here long. Anyway, um, not going to give anything away. It's about how the song I Can Only Imagine was written in the story of that guy. I'm not giving anything away right now. <laughs> but it's the power of art. I, 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 I cried through that movie. There's a movie out right now called Wonder. Well, it's not in the theaters. It's probably, I saw it on a plane. And I'm like, oh my, this is such a beautiful movie. It made you love righteousness and hate wickedness. We need to be careful. If there's no good guy... Turn it off. If there's no, if there is no, uh, it doesn't have to be that this person is flawed. I can't watch it. No, we're all flawed. But what's it about? Is it strengthening your love for righteousness? Or is it causing cynicism and complacency and mocking righteousness? See, here's how the world thinks about righteousness. Righteousness is something that people use to get their way. Just that's how the Pharisees used righteousness. They weren't righteous, they just used righteousness. So anybody that really loves righteousness is stupid, naive, simple, because that's not how people are. Well, guess what? That is how Christians are. That is who Christians are. And we're getting more and more like that. We love righteousness and we hate what is wrong because we want to please God. Point three, last point. Hungering and thirsting, first, to be clothed with his righteousness. Secondly, hungering and thirsting, to have that righteousness, that imparted righteousness, to have that flourish in our lives, to agree with what God has put inside of us. And then thirdly, hungering and thirsting for the satisfaction that comes from pleasing God. Jesus is with the Samaritan woman, and, and this is in John 4, and the disciples come, and they brought food, and they, they said, hey, we, we got the food to eat, and Jesus says this to them, I've got food you don't know of, and they're like, where did he get food? There's no food out here. And Jesus says this to them, my food is to do the will of him 
who sent me. This is what I live for. This is what feeds my spirit. Man shall not, he starts, in the wilderness, the enemy comes to tempt him with physical food. And Jesus says, man will not live by bread alone. That's just survival. But we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the mark of Christians. They are satisfied. They find energy and strength just by doing what's right. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 32 and 33, Jesus, he, he, he gives two different ways of living. He says, don't ask yourself, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? And what are we going to eat and wear tomorrow? He said, these are the questions that the Gentiles, the, the unbelieving, live for. This is why they live. They live trying to survive. But he says, but you... Seek, first he says this, I love this. Hey, the father loves you way more than you know and he knows you need all those things. Don't worry about any of those things. You are free now to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. But I'm calling you to live in a different way than the Gentiles live. The Gentiles are living, they live smart. Smart means I'm gonna, prov- I'm gonna make sure I survive. I'm going to make sure I survive. I'm going to make sure my kids survive. I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to take care of me and mine. Jesus said, don't, don't, don't live smart in man's eyes. Live right in God's eyes. Seek first. Give yourself to this. In John 6, 27, a whole group of people, he, he crosses the sea, he comes to the other shore, and there's this huge group of people that are there, and they all seem like they're really hungry for God and really hungry for Jesus, and Jesus says this to them, you guys aren't here for me. You are here because I multiplied the bread and the fish, and you want another meal. That's, that's, that's how high you guys think. He said, don't This is 627. Don't work for the food that perishes. Work for the food that endures for eternal life. This this is your life. And then the Pharisees say to him, how do we do the work of God? What is the work of God? Tell us and we'll do the work of God. And here's what Jesus says. This is John 629. This is the work of God. That you believe on the one he has sent. Jesus is our food. And I got, I, got, I got news for you. When you make Jesus your food every day, when you pursue him every day, something happens inside of you. Philippians 2.13 says, it's God at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Guys, Christianity comes with its own engine. Jesus is in us. The righteous one is in us. Righteousness is not something you need to pretend. It is in you in Jesus. You seek Jesus and his desires grow. The desire to do what is right, the power to do what is right, it grows in you. Now, here is the good news today. This is just stunning to me. Let, let me tell you about my counseling ministry. Here's what it looks like. So people come into my office, 
with all kinds of darkness, all kinds of darkness that was done to them, all kinds of darkness they've done, deep, deep black holes that there's no way out, there's voices speaking to them, it is over, and they, and of course, they probably should have come earlier, but they're here, they're here now. Here's what I found. Jesus only requires one thing that you're willing to do the next right thing. doesn't matter how deep the darkness is. Here, here's what it says in Psalm 23. He leads me in the path of righteousness. He, the, the good shepherd, this is his job. He will lead you to do the next right thing. So I don't have to worry about all of the stuff other people have done to us or even the sins that I've done or the betrayals or all this. Jesus is here. He wants to wash you. He wants to forgive you. Now, you and him need to walk together out of this darkness into his light. And it's always in your power to do the next right thing. You're not a victim. None of us are victims. We're only victims if we own what the enemy is telling us. You can always do the next right thing. Jesus, and, and usually, here's the funny thing about being a pastor. You're like, Pastor Tom, how do you know what to do? Guys, people already know the right thing. They tell me what the right thing is. And then I just say, as a pastor, here's the pastor's job. Yep, that's the right thing. <laughs> yeah, that thing that you thought you should do, that's the thing you need to do. And once in a while, I have to give a little correction, but really, people just need to be strengthened that it, it's okay to do the right thing. It's okay. It's not smart in the world's eyes. It's just right in God's eyes. And you can trust God when you do the right thing. And, and righteousness, it, when you sow to that, you start reaping more. You start reaping more, and then you get on this road called the narrow road that, that is easy, and his, light, his burden is light, and, and you start, oh my, this is transforming my whole life. Where have I been? Why was I on that wide road that leads to destruction? This is amazing. Sometimes people live around Christianity, but it's hard for them to see that this is all about you doing Right? So I want to close with two of my favorite movies. The first one is a Christmas movie called It's a Wonderful Life. It's a movie about a new beginning. The guy is Jimmy Stewart and um, the whole, the, the pressure and the mistakes of others have so built on him and he's tried to do what's right but it hasn't worked out and, and so he's in Martini's Bar and, uh, and he, starts, he starts crying, and he says, Father, I'm not a praying man. You know I'm not a praying man. But Father, show me the way. And originally, that's not that scene. That's not how Frank Capra drew it up. Those weren't the lines. But what happened in that Jimmy Stewart tells the story, he had just got back from World War II. He was overwhelmed with the evil in the world and the need for God and the need for God to direct us and lead us that this scene is the expression, the groaning of a man that says, show me, show me the way. This is the prayer that God always hears. God loves every single one of us. And however bad it is, however dark it is, 
when you say, Father, show me the way, he will lead you. My other, one of my other favorite movies is called Groundhog Day. <laughs> As a rule, I don't like comedies. Usually comedies are a cover-up for perversion. Uh, most movies people think are funny, I just find them disgusting. I, and, well, enough said. And often, Bill Murray is actually in some of those disgusting movies, but Groundhog Day, amazing movie. Let, let me tell you about Groundhog Day. If you haven't seen this, that's on you, man. You should have. This has been out forever. So Bill Murray is just this regular guy, and he's a newscaster, and uh, it's Groundhog Day, and he's going to cover Groundhog Day, and he gets stuck in a day. Every morning he wakes up, it's Groundhog Day again. It's the same day, same song on the radio, and he is stuck in this day. Well, he is um, living these days with people that are also stuck in, this, in his day, and his director is this woman that is drop-dead gorgeous. But there's a problem with this woman. She's not just beautiful on the outside. She's beautiful on the inside. She loves righteousness. She loves kindness and purity and goodness. And so he's stuck in this day. And so the, the, the first days, his goal is to get her in bed. And so he uses every single method, every line, every manipulation, every concoction, and every day ends with her slapping him on the face. <laughs> Eventually, he gives up on her, and then he, uh, he's angry. He's angry at God. He's angry for being caught in the monotony of this day, and he starts despairing of his life because it is so monotonous. I don't do anything. It's the same day, and he's caught in life, and so he is in a, in a statement of rebellion, he is going to commit suicide. And so he tries to commit suicide in a hundred different ways. He goes off the cliff in the car. He, it doesn't matter how he tries to commit suicide. He always wakes up in that bed the next day and it's Groundhog Day. <laughs> and then the movie develops and he keeps getting a new turn. Which version of yourself are you going to be? And finally, finally he decides he's going to, instead of fighting this divine dealing. He's going to work with it. And he starts becoming the kindest, most loving person. He starts treating her with dignity and purity and goodness and honesty. He starts developing musical gifts and, and develops beauty in other areas. And, and then at the end of the movie, she falls in love with who he has become. And once they fall in love, Groundhog Day ends. This is the story. This is the story in humor but it's the story of the gospel. Jesus is the beautiful one. And he has chosen you. 
to be his bride. But he's not going to be unequally yoked. They couldn't be together at the beginning. They were unequally yoked. He was a pervert. She was this beautiful woman. They were unequal. There's no way that they can end up together at the beginning. He needs to become someone different. And he is transformed and becomes the very best version of himself. And what Jesus invites all of us to do is to just say, God, I want, I want to be part of that bride. I want, you are beautiful. I want to become beautiful. And Jesus says, let's do this. And up front, he gives you his righteousness. You are what he's looking for. He's looking for sinners. He is the redeemer. And he's the one that makes us beautiful. And he washes us with his word, it says. He washes over us. And more and more and more, we become beautiful. The Bible says he's coming back with a church without spot or wrinkle. A church that's been thoroughly washed. The idea that Jesus is going to return for a church that's in bed with the world, that's not on the table, folks. The idea that he's going to come back with people that really don't like essentially who he is. They just wanted, they prayed the prayer. That's not going to happen. Jesus is coming back for people, yes, that have received his gift, but who also have loved his nature and have, have said, Lord, I want to be the best version of who you, you want me to be. Could we have the worship team come? If we could have every head bowed for just a moment, every eye closed. I've got two calls to prayer. The first one is uh, maybe you're here today and, and you do not know that you have that clothing of righteousness. Maybe Paul, Paul said, um, I want to be found in him having no righteousness of my own. Maybe you've been relying on your own righteousness, your own ability to be good enough for God. That, that's not, you can impress us, but you'll never impress God with your own righteousness. God is only impressed with the righteousness of Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died is because he loves you and he loves me. The way to become righteous is him making us righteous through giving us those fine linen garments. And if that's you, you've been in your own righteousness and, and, and Jesus is knocking at the door right now. The Bible says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I will come in. I will come in and save. I will come in and sup. I will come in and make you what I want you to be. If that's you, you're here and you know that's you and you also know that Jesus is knocking. This isn't just a man talking. Jesus is knocking and you want to open the door. I have everybody's head bowed because this is between you and God. I have, I have us raise our hands because I like to give a prayer because somebody gave me the words to pray to open my door. So if that's you, just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it. I see that hand and that hand and that hand and that hand. Two hands in back there and this hand and this hand. God bless you guys. God bless you. You can put those hands down. I see that hand too. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray that prayer in just a moment. Anybody else by upraised hand? Okay. I just want to make sure I get everybody. If you raised your hand just now, would you slip that hand over your heart and pray something like this? Lord, this morning I am convicted by your presence, by your word 
of my own unrighteousness and that I have been clinging to my own righteousness. Jesus, thank you for knocking on this door. Thank you. Just like Groundhog Day, I kept getting up again and again and again and again. And it was as if you were waiting for me. Today, I'm opening the door. Jesus, would you come in and save me? Come in, Lord. You have died for me on the cross. Wash me and cleanse me and give me that gift of your righteousness. I receive it right now by faith. It's called the gift. The wages of sin is death, it says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Lord, I receive your generous gift over me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Then could we stand together? The second call is you feel like even though you are a Christian, you have been in some ways compromised by this culture and the cynicism and the complacency of this culture around righteousness it, it has, has tried to get on you. Maybe, maybe God has spoken to you today that you need to stop watching some of the stuff you're watching or stop reading some of the stuff you're reading because it's absolutely, might be good art, good in, in, in meaning well done, but it's dangerous art because it's got the wrong message and it's producing the wrong thing in you. And you need to turn it off. You need to stop reading. You need to find a different show. <laughs> that loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Or maybe you're that person stuck in pornography today and and you've justified it in a thousand ways and today Jesus is inviting you to walk out of it with his hand. Take his hand, walk out of it. Maybe you're the person that's been in hatred and you've justified it a hundred ways because of how bad it was. Here's the thing. It's not about what you went through. It's about what Jesus went through for you. That's why Good Friday is so important. We reflect. When you you think about the injustice that's done to you, it makes you angry. It makes you want to be angry. It makes you want to hold on to it. When you think about what Jesus went on your behalf, when you think about the cross, when you think about his scars, you know what it makes you want to do? Forgive. It makes you want to let go of anger. It's all, it's all which, which, one, which way you go. Jesus is calling us to walk with him out of darkness. And maybe you're here today, and if we were in a counseling appointment, you could tell me a story of how dark it is, how horrible it is, how horrible you've been, how horrible somebody else has been. And here's what the love of God is saying to you. I love you. I love you in the middle of your darkness. I love you in the middle of your mess. Now take my hand and let me lead you in the path of righteousness. You've tried everything except the path of righteousness, including religion. Try doing the right thing instead of the self-protectives. Why am I? I'm preaching another sermon. Let's pray. (laughs) If if any of those are yours, just open your arms like this. We're going to pray. Lord, I just get so excited. You love people. You love us so much, Jesus. You're so good. You're so, so good. Lord, you said that you called this generation a perverted and sinful generation. Lord, that's just what we're living among. (laughs) 
It's not a judgment. It's just what is. It's, it's just there. And here we are in the midst of that generation, and we're, we're, we're affected by it, God. God, wash us of complacency. Wash us of cynicism. Wash us, Lord, of, of just this whole mindset that righteousness isn't even real. That, that people are just using God for their own end and everybody's essentially the same, selfish, self-serving, self-protecting. The idea that there's actually real goodness. Lord, wash that out of us. It's a lie. Jesus, you are amazing. Lord, we don't want to be in love with the world. We don't want to be compromised by the world. Would you speak over your people today? Wash us, cleanse us with your word. Lord, for that one that's in pornography, God, in Jesus' name, let there be light. I speak light into that darkness. Now take his hand and walk out of it. Walk out of it. Jesus, you are in that person to will and to do of your good pleasure. Break the love of immorality in Jesus' name. For that one that has been so hurt that they have actually said to you, God, I can't forgive that person. You understand. And today you're saying, no, there's a light. There's a light. Here's what's hard to understand. That Jesus would die for you so that you could be forgiven. That's what's hard to understand. Now, take his hand. He's going to lead you out of hatred. He's going to lead you out of darkness. For that person, God, that simply needs to know what to do. What is the next right thing? Would you speak today, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, we love you, Lord. Amen.